Welcome to He That Hath Ears, Listen Podcast. My name is Dave Krupa, a Christian and student of the Bible. Each episode, I will share lessons I learned from God's Word to help on the Christian journey in everyday life. Thanks for spending some time exploring the Bible with me today. Now, let's listen. For me, some of the most frustrating things to deal with during this stay-at-home scenario is caused by the habits I've developed over the years. I need an auto part for my car. I simply drive to the store to get it. Need some milk? No problem. Hop in the car, drive up to the top of the hill, buy some milk. Sundays are for gathering with the church. Nowadays, I conduct services from home. I'm accustomed to driving about 50,000 miles per year. Yet, I've had the same tank of gas in my car for 50 plus days now. By this time of the year, my mind tends to start focusing in on fishing and getting my boat out. Yet that's not happened, and I'm not even sure I'm permitted to do such a thing. A grandfather and his grandson were on a walk. As they walked along the trail, the grandfather pointed to a small plant and told the young boy to uproot the plant. The boy did so easily. They came to a slightly larger plant, and the grandfather told the boy to uproot the larger plant also. After some time and a little more effort, the boy was able to complete this task as well. The grandfather then pointed to a large plant and told his grandson to uproot this one. The boy's eyes widened as he quickly examined the task before him, but in obedience to his grandfather, he went to work. He struggled for some time, but was unable to get the plant to budge. The grandfather stepped to the young boy's side and helped him pull it. Both of them were finally able to ease the plant from the ground. Along with the plant came a system of roots almost as long as the plant itself. As the grandfather and the boy continued their walk, the grandfather told the boy that the largest plant was the most difficult to pull out because its roots. They had grown too long. He explained to the boy that our habits are much the same. If we catch them early, we can pull them ourselves. If we wait too long, we are powerless against their roots unless someone else or something comes into our lives and helps us to pry them loose. Today, I would like to look at two habits that are so easy for us to develop roots, yet oftentimes are so hard to uproot. The first of these habits is ignorance. Ignorance is not knowing, not necessarily unintelligent. Two types to consider are unintentional ignorance and willful ignorance. Let's look at the first, unintentional ignorance, It's a condition that all are in to some extent. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. 1 Peter 1 and 14. And it's a condition that all were in at one time or another. So we should be patient with those who are actually in this habit. It's not an excuse, but it's not punished as greatly. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. Luke 12 and 48. 
However, even with unintentional ignorance, God does demand repentance. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. This is where Paul is given the sermon on Mars Hill. So Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Therefore what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. This text suggests that God provides a mean for man to understand his will. The second form of ignorance, as we said, was willful ignorance. Those who choose not to know cause many of the conflicts among disciples, stubbornness, prejudice, and hypocrisy. Many of the Jews of Jesus' day fit this. Let's look at one example after Jesus made the blind man see again. We pick up the story after the Pharisees had questioned the man and his parents as well. John chapter 9, verses 47 through 53. So a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He then answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. So they said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become his disciples too, do you? They reviled him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, But as for this man, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, Well, here is an amazing thing, that you do not know where he is from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born entirely in sins, and are you teaching us? So they put him out. We can see from this scripture that even though the Pharisees were taught of God and had the scriptures, they were unwilling to accept Jesus for who he said he was. Yet this blind man clearly knew who Jesus was. And even these people who were practicing willful ignorance are still commanded to repent. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore repent and return." so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Acts chapter 3, 17-19 Paul talks of people, ignoring Jesus' righteousness, they tried to establish their own based on works. Brethren, 
My heart's desire and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. The effects of ignorance are clearly identified in the scriptures. One of the effects of ignorance brought about the death of Christ. Another, as we are told in 1 Timothy 1 and 13, caused Paul to persecute the Christians. Yet another is that it hides the evidence of God. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 5 and 8. For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. Another effect of ignorance is it twists the meaning of scriptures. Consider, if you will, 2 Peter 3, 15-16. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters speaking them of those things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures, to their own destruction. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23 states, But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. We can see there's no positive effect of twisting the meaning of scriptures. Another effect of ignorance is it excludes men from eternal life. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Ephesians chapter 4, 17 through 18. If ignorance were an excuse, we do men a disservice by preaching to them. But ignorance of God's word only leads men away from God. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10-11 through 11. The second habit that I would like to discuss is the habit of hypocrisy. When we read the gospel messages, we see that Jesus reserved his most scathing abuse for the hypocrite. Yet not all hypocrisy is the same. Let's look at some of the different types of hypocrisy and the reactions of Jesus and others to them. The first type is, do as I say, not as I do. This type is the most obvious type. 
yet the least problematic since they are so obvious. Basically, your actions don't agree with your words. If you turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 23, we'll pick up with verses 2 to 4. Saying, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. If we drop down to verse 5, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around on the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. If you would slide down to verse 25, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish, so that the outside of it may become clean also. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you, too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had been living in the day of our fathers, we would not have been partners with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves, that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up, then, the measure of the guilt of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers. How will you escape the sentence of hell? Jesus is clearly teaching in these scriptures that the Pharisees were saying one thing and doing another. So we must draw near with more than just words. If we look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, we see our Lord has something to say to us about that as well. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who practice lawlessness. Jesus is clearly teaching us that it takes more than words and the acknowledgement that God exists to be near and close to God. It takes words and actions. Christians must teach and live the truth. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. 
What are the fruits of our repentance? One of the fruits is sharing the gospel with those who need to hear it. The second form of hypocrisy may look something like this. Hey, look at me. In other words, self-righteousness. Now this is not as obvious, therefore it's a little more serious of a problem. Mark chapter 12 verses 38 through 40. In his teaching he was saying, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like respectful greetings in the marketplaces and chief seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets who devour widows' houses and for appearance sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Jesus is pointing out that the scribes only cared about appearances, what their image was, instead of what their true intent was. Righteousness is to glorify God, not ourselves. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. Christians should not seek to be noticed, as we are taught in Matthew 20 verses 20 through 28. For when a man thinketh himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. Galatians 6 and 3. This often is because it elevates the self instead of the professed object of our worship, which is God. The third form of hypocrisy comes in worship in spirit, but not in truth. John 4 and 24 says God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. This type of hypocrisy was associated with many of the Pharisees in Jesus' day, and it's probably one of the most dangerous because it's so deceptive, even from today's standpoint. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 13, let's look at verses 10 through 16. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for eighteen years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double, and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? We can see that Jesus is teaching that healing on the Sabbath is very equivalent to rescuing an animal. And even though work was not to be done, the synagogue officials were guilty of rescuing an animal on the Sabbath, so why not rescue a person?
The lesson I think I've learned from this is that Christians should not let zeal cause them to become legalist. The letter of the law is important, but spirit and truth to God is more important. We must be careful to have law where we bind or where we loose things. Another form of hypocrisy may look something like this. I'm right and you're wrong. This is perhaps the easiest form of hypocrisy to fall into. We probably know this best as prejudice. That is unrighteous judgment. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the ways you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Unrighteous judgment often comes because we have a judgment without an examination of evidence. Christians should not be so close-minded to believe that they cannot be wrong. We're told by Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and 5, Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? This form of hypocrisy shows in how quickly we're willing to change, slower in matters of importance such as Jesus is the Son of God, and quicker in matters of less importance, for example, the date of writing of the book of Timothy. Our actions should agree with our words. Our behavior should be in congruence with our thoughts and the words we say. Our worship should be for God's glory and be in spirit and in truth. And we should examine ourselves. How shall I a habit break? As did you that habit make, as you gathered you must lose. As you yielded, now refuse. Thread by thread the strands we twist, Till they bind us neck and wrist. Thread by thread the patient hand, Must untwine ere free we stand. As we builded stone by stone, We must toil unhelped, alone, Till the wall is overthrown. But remember, as we try, Later every test goes by. Wading in the streaming grows deep Toward the current's downward sweep. Backward turn each step toward shore Shallower it is than before. How do we uproot those unfruitful habits? I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Philippians 4.13 Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Ephesians 6 and 10
My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9 Thanks for listening. W. Clement Stone wrote, That which you share multiplies, that which you withhold diminishes. If you found this podcast enjoyable, share the link with someone you care about.